0: Well, thank you for being here tonight, and thank you for joining us. We're uh, continuing in our uh, study of the big picture, God's big picture. Uh, You know, as we have uh, studied in the past few weeks, uh, we have seen uh, the nation of Israel at its best and at its worst. Uh, There's no doubt that uh, Israel is a nation had its ups and downs, even Abraham, the the founder, uh, father of the Israelites, he had his own roller coaster of faith. Uh, He experienced seasons of doubt, seasons of unbelief. On occasion, he failed. His faith failed. He took matters into his own hands and this great man uh, even that pattern continued through the lives of his sons and their descendants and even to Jacob whose name God changed to Israel and his 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel well this pattern even continued uh, with his descendants during 430 years of slavery and oppression in Egypt. Then Moses came on the scene, the deliverer. Moses was charged with bringing God's people out of their captivity and their slavery in Egypt and leading them to the promised land, the land that God had promised to Abraham and to his descendants, and God is faithful. God is always faithful to his promise, and he always has a man that he calls on to use to do his will and his purpose. So when Moses came along, even though the journey turned out to be a lot longer than they had anticipated, even the road was rough, the nation was at least headed in the right direction. As Joshua took over and led the people into their promised land, the future of all Israel looked very, very bright. And if you'll look with me tonight at Judges chapter 2, that's where we'll start our study tonight. Judges chapter 2. Beginning in verse 6, let's read a couple verses here from Judges chapter 2, verse 6. When Joshua had let the people go, children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. They have finally arrived at that place where they had looked so forward to for so many years now. The new generation had finally arrived in the promised land, and they have come into their inheritance to possess the land. And look at verse 7. Here's how bright their future looked at this point. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. So at this point, they they are no doubt on a spiritual high, uh, moving into the land that God had promised, ready to go, serving the Lord.
1: Moses and Joshua
0: had uh, within their power the influence to point the Israelites toward God. Everything looks bright. But now look at verse eight. "Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance, in Timnath in the mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill, Gaash and also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers and i believe the last part of verse 10 is one of the saddest verses that you will find in all of the bible there arose another
1: generation
0: after them which knew not the lord nor yet the works which he
1: had done for Israel. One of two
0: things had to happen. Either, number one, that generation of believers failed to teach the next generation. Or, they were faithful in teaching the next generation. And that generation did not heed the teachings And the warnings of the things of the Lord. I kind of think in my mind that it's the former and not the latter. My guess is, and I surmise, that one generation did not teach, and the next generation did not know the Lord nor the great things that the Lord had done. It's a sobering thought. Do you realize that we are only one generation away from a generation that knows nothing about the Lord? And some indications there are even currently that we may already be there. There arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord. And not only did they not know the Lord, they did not know anything that the Lord had done for them. Let's not let that be an indictment against our generation. Let's do our best to teach the way we should. Let's remain true and faithful to the gospel for the sake of this next generation. So what appeared to be a very, very bright horizon for the nation of Israel once they got into the promised land, Things soon turned, and it didn't work out exactly that way. Well, when the conquest of their new land was initially completed, and uh, in Joshua's death, God instructed those 12 tribes uh, to do something. And that was to drive out all of those pagan, heathen people who inhabited their land. They were to drive out those Canaanites and to rid the land of their pagan gods. You see, God would lead them and he would empower them to have victory and to have the power to do that. God would bless them if they would follow him.
1: But once again, they did not. Look at verse 11. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. To what extent? And served
0: Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods, of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth, And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them, sold them into the hands of their enemies round about so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Whithersoever they went out, The hand of the Lord was against them for evil as the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn unto them. And they were greatly distressed. God's command was very, very clear and they disobeyed. They were to totally drive out the pagan Canaanites who inhabited the land. They disobeyed God's clear command. Instead of removing... The moral cancer, they contracted
1: the disease. What did they do? Look at chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. The children of Israel
0: dwelt among the Canaanites, and here were some of them the Hittites, Amorites. Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But that's not all. They took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons. But that's still not all. They served their gods. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and forgot the Lord their God, and served Balaam and the groves. They dwelt among those heathen people. They intermarried with the people of the land. They even adopted their pagan worship of Baal. There again, we can learn a lesson there. There's a principle involved there. You can live so close to sin
1: that soon you will be involved in it.
0: Be careful. Be careful what you do. Be careful where you go. Be careful and be cognizant of those people that you live among. They may not be doing what God would want you to be doing. But you could be very easily influenced by them. You see, they had no business living among them. They were supposed to drive them out. They certainly had no business marrying their women and giving their sons and daughters to marry them also. And certainly they were not to involve themselves in pagan worship of those people. You see, compromise always leads to confusion, conflict, and chaos. You can mark it down. When when we compromise with sin, there is no good result of that, ever. God was highly displeased, to say the least.
1: Well, we see the pattern here.
0: Israel is going to find herself in a moral freefall, plunging headlong, it seems, into moral, spiritual, and political disaster. The moral climate of that day, you, you'll find as, as you continue to read, and I hope that you will continue to read on through the book of Judges. We're just going to hit some of the highlights. But as you read through there, you will see that that. They had had sunk so low that that things like lying and stealing and adultery and idol worship and even murder were condoned. Now, if you really want to get depressed, (laughs) take time later and read chapters 19, 20, and 21 because you will not find any worse account of the degradation of sin
1: anywhere in the Bible. Well,
0: where is God during all of this? Same place He's always been. You know, mercifully, even in spite of all of that, God did not abandon His people. He didn't forsake them. Even when they forsook him, he did not forsake them. The Israelites became trapped in a a cycle of repetitive unbelief and disobedience. First, what they would do is they they would sin, particularly in those areas of rebellion and disobedience and idolatry. Then, with God's permission, they would be oppressed by their enemies. Some of these pagan people in the land. Next, they would cry out to God to save them and to deliver them from their enemies. And finally, the Lord would hear their cry. He would raise up a judge who would rescue
1: his people. Look at verse 16 of chapter 2 of Judges. Nevertheless,
0: don't you like that? Nevertheless even in spite of the conditions, even in spite of the sin, even in spite of the lack of morals, even in spite of the degradation that was going on, the Bible says, nevertheless. Nevertheless what? Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled Them, and yet, would they would not hearken unto their judges? But they went a whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord. But they did not so. And when the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto them. They ceased not from their own doings nor from their stubborn. Way. The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he said, Because that this people hath transgressed my covenant which I commanded their fathers, and have not hearkened unto my voice, I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations which Joshua left when he died that through them I may prove Israel whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did keep it or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out hastily, neither delivered he them into the hand of Joshua. That cycle of disobedience, that cycle of crying out to God that cycle of the nation being delivered by a judge that cycle was repeated 7 times it's recorded in the book of judges and they still did not learn their lessons well, who were these judges well they were divinely appointed men and women who led israel militarily and spiritually. Uh, there was no family history. There is no lineage uh, that indicated who would be or who would become a judge of Israel. God simply chose someone who would listen to him and obey him and who would instruct others to do the same. They were in many respects unremarkable people that God chose to use. Can I remind you of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 27 through 29? The Bible says, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. The idea was God would raise up a judge to deliver his people, and God would be the one who would get the glory for that.
1: Well, among the judges,
0: you'll find some very interesting characters. Uh, There were two women. There was a left-handed man. Um, As I tell Brother Keith often, some of us are right-handed and some of us are (laughs) (laughs) wrong-handed. Just kidding, you know that. But there were two women. There's a left-handed man. There's a greatly outnumbered army that you'll encounter in Judges. There's even some unusual weapons like the jawbone of a donkey that God will use. The jawbone of a donkey, apart from his miraculous power, would seem totally ridiculous as a weapon to defeat the enemy. So we have before us here the the book of Judges, the period, the time of the Judges. Uh, It stands in stark contrast to the book of Joshua because, as you recall, in the book of Joshua, we saw a group of obedient, submissive uh, people who conquered the land uh, through trusting in the power of God. But in Judges, the whole thing changes because a disobedient and idolatrous people are repeatedly, seven times recorded in the book of Judges, oppressed by their enemies. Thirteen judges ruled Israel from the period of 1375 to 1050 B.C. over 300 years. The first judge was Othniel, The last judge was Samson. Samson finally delivered the people from their arch enemies, the Philistines, but he had to die in the process in order to do it. After Samson, the Israelites continued their same pattern of spiritual compromise and decline during this very, very sad period of their history. But you know, God sees, and has a bigger picture. Because, you know, it's during that time when a young Moabite woman named Ruth enters into God's story. What was Ruth's story? Why is it significant? Does it fit into God's big picture? in spite of all that's going on at the time of the judges? It absolutely does. Let's look at Ruth. Turn to, uh, if you would, uh, turn to um, Ruth chapter 1. Beginning in verse 1. You all know this story, but we're going to see if we can see how this fits into the big picture. Book of Ruth, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, The name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Kilion. Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Maulon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore, she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. Naomi goes on here to convince her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, to remain in Moab, not to leave their home. Because you see, Naomi and Elimelech had gone to Moab to find food because of the terrible famine that was in the land in Jerusalem. Bethlehem, Judea.
1: While in Moab, Naomi's husband died, both of her sons died,
0: all three of those women were widowed. You know, it would have been very easy for Naomi to give up. It would have been very easy for Naomi to succumb to bitterness. Would have been very easy for Naomi to resent God Almighty and feel that she had been abandoned by Him. But instead, she moved on and recognized that God's help has come. Because you see, God used a famine, God used a famine in Bethlehem (laughs) to move Naomi to Moab. And now he uses an abundant barley harvest that she heard about back home to draw Naomi back to Bethlehem and supply them with food and hope and the ability to survive. You know the story. Orpah remains in Moab. Ruth accompanies Naomi back to Bethlehem, Judah. Well, through a series of God-ordained events and circumstances, a man named Boaz fell in love with Ruth and desired to marry her. And One of the most miraculous stories in all of the Bible is the fact that he became her legal kinsman redeemer, and also became her husband. A miracle in and of itself. Look at chapter 4 of Ruth, verse
1: 13.
0: So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And he went in unto her. The Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, Naomi. Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. Naomi took the child, and laid it in her bosom, and became nurse unto it. And the women, Her neighbors gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. If you were to look, take time to look at the genealogies in both Matthew and Luke, you'll find Boaz there. Boaz.
1: Boaz. Was the son of the harlot Rahab.
0: Remember Rahab, the harlot of Jericho, whose faith in God saved her and her family from certain death? Her son Boaz, he became a man of high reputation and great wealth. He was a wealthy landowner. Among the Israelites, Ruth was loyal. She was determined. You read the book of Ruth, you realize that she was very beautiful. She was clever. But Ruth was a
1: Moabitess. What does that mean? Ruth was a heathen, Ruth was a pagan. Ruth was a descendant of Moab. Do you know who
0: Moab was? Moab was the product of Lot's incestuous relationship with his eldest daughter.
1: That's Ruth. In God's providence,
0: this unconventional, incredible, miraculous coming together in marriage of Ruth and
1: Boaz would be part of the genealogy and the ancestry of King David and more importantly, of the Lord
0: Jesus Christ. Do you think God sees a bigger picture than we do sometimes? He had it all under control. He knew from the very beginning that it was all going to work out, that Ruth would marry Boaz Ruth's great-grandson, David, will eventually become the renowned shepherd king of Israel in the line of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, the story of Ruth, I think it illustrates another point that we have to to recognize, uh, important aspect as well, because you see, her life demonstrates That the worldwide, all-encompassing reach of God's gift of hope and salvation goes beyond the scope of just his chosen people. You see, the Jews may have thought that God was their private property. But he was not. Because the God of the Israelites is also the God of the Moabites. The salvation of this foreign woman illustrates that God's plan of salvation for all mankind is broader than the scope of just Israel. It's broader than the scope of any one nation. It's widespread. It's far deep and wide. As deep and wide as his far-reaching love to save a Moabite woman. Through the line of Ruth, God gave a glimmer of hope during this time that was marked by incredible apostasy, by incredible selfishness, idolatry, complete depravity, as it's described in the book of Judges. The story of Ruth and Naomi begins and ends in the little town of Bethlehem. It involved two very, very common, ordinary women who showed extraordinary faith and faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. In spite of an uncertain future, no amount of chance could ever yield a result that we see in the book of Ruth. Her obedience, her faith, her faithfulness, allowed God's glory to manifest itself. We should praise him for working in her life and for his miraculous big picture. Because her great-grandson David is eventually going to ascend to the throne of Israel.
1: Well, if you look back a couple
0: of pages to the very last verse of the book of judges 21:25 that summarizes the condition of the day in those days there was no king in israel every man did that which was right in his own eyes does that sound a little familiar to the world that we live in today believe it does but take heart take heart don't be discouraged keep doing right keep serving the Lord keep trusting God he's still at work because he was then in the lives of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz and all the others who remain faithful to him well moving on there's a godly man in Israel who is going to play a very prominent role in this next chapter of the story. The next chapter, a man named Samuel. Samuel was a judge and a prophet who honored God and served him, and Samuel led the people obediently with faith and with courage. But you know, as we continue on with Samuel, we realize that um, the Israelites were not happy with that arrangement. Because there comes a time when they decide they want a king. Like every other nation had a king, they wanted to have a king. Well, let me just say, we should not... Desire to be like everyone else. Just because everybody's doing it doesn't make it right. Just because every other nation had a king did not mean that it was God's will for them to have a king. God had been their king throughout their entire history as a nation. But now the people desired a fully human king. And they're going to get one. Who is was very, very deeply flawed. God gave them what they asked for. You know, sometimes God gives us what we ask for. Did you ever think
1: about that? Coming up in about a year, we're going to have an election. You know what?
0: God's going to give us what we ask for it doesn't mean that we're not asking amiss but god sometimes lets us have what we ask for and he did with these people they wanted a king in the book of first samuel we'll continue to see god's mighty hand at work as we see this transition of leadership. Because you see, that's also part of God's big picture. The book of First Samuel records the, the crucial transition from what is known as a theocracy, that is where God was their king, to being ruled by a human earthly king. Samuel himself is a remarkable individual
1: and it's going to fall his lot to crown, to ordain the first king of
0: Israel. Samuel was is a miracle child himself. In First Samuel, beginning in chapter 1, in, verses, in chapter 1, verse 10, we read these words. Hannah was his mother. And in verse 10, she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. Why? Because she was barren. She was not able to have children. And she was bitter toward the Lord because of it. And verse 11 says, She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, If thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but wilt give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. She prayed. Look at verse 20. You think God answered that prayer? Wherefore it came to pass when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Samuel was born at a time that was described to us in chapter 3. Verse one of First Samuel
1: The child Samuel ministered unto the Lord
0: before Eli, priest. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. there was no open vision. It was rare. The word of the Lord during that time was rare or scarce, we might say. But Samuel was confirmed a prophet in verses 19 and 20. Because it tells us there that Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet Of the Lord. Well, nothing was going to be easy for Samuel, but it was all part of God's plan. What did Samuel do? He insisted, first of all, that the Israelites stop worshiping idols, stop worshiping those pagan deities that they had been involved with, and return to their worship of the true and living God, Jehovah. And He also had the responsibility of successfully subduing the Philistines, the arch enemies of the Israelites. Pretty tall order for Samuel. But you know, unfortunately the people still insisted on having a king. They thought that was going to be the answer to their leadership problems, and so they did in chapter 8. We find there that uh, in this uh, book of First Samuel that Samuel anoints Saul to be the first king of Israel. Turned out to be a total, and complete failure, an absolute disaster. But who do you think was in line to take
1: Saul's place? The great grandson of Ruth and Boaz, King David. There are no accidents with God.
0: God has a plan. If you look around where we live today, if you look around at this world that we live in, I I, I grant you, it's a mess. But you know what? God is still in control, he still has a plan, and he's still going to use faithful people to work his will and his way in our lives and in the lives of others. How's this, how, how's this period of the judges, how, how does this fit into God's big picture? Well, I think first of all, it reminds us modern day believers of a couple of things. First of all, it reminds us that God does not abandon his people, regardless of how bad the circumstances are, regardless of how bad the conditions are that we live in. God does not abandon his people. The people of Israel sinned grievously at that time. As God's people, sometimes we sin. But you know what? God does not give us up. He does not abandon us. Even when we're unfaithful to him, he's still faithful to us. We may even turn completely from following the Lord, from following his will, from following his word, but he remains faithful to us even when we're unfaithful to him. And he sent those judges to those people when they desperately needed them. Now, did they heed it? No. That wasn't God's fault. God gave them opportunity. God does not abandon his people. The second thing this does for me is it it reminds me that God uses people to accomplish his will. Those judges in in Israel, they were were a mixed group. I I mean, they weren't only mixed. They were kind of mixed up at times, too. God used strong rulers. He used strong judges, and he used weak judges. He used men. He used women. He used young judges. He used old judges. God can and will use anyone who's obedient and submissive to his will and to his call in their lives. If God could use them, you think he could use us? He sure can. But we have to be willing to serve him. So it reminds me of a couple of things. Reminds me that God does not abandon his people, and it reminds me that God uses people to accomplish his will. And then lastly, Ruth and Samuel both lived during the time of the judges. Regardless of how terrible the times were, regardless of how terrible times may seem to us in the world we're living in today, God still is faithful. The faithful people who will be willing to serve him. God can still use us to accomplish great things if we'll let him. Don't be discouraged by what's going on around you. Take heart. God's still at work. We might not understand his plan, but he is still working his will and his way in our lives. Through the providential hand of God, Ruth became part of the royal bloodline of the Lord Jesus Christ and God used Samuel during that terrible time period of the judges to anoint the first king of Israel Saul and the second king of Israel David the great grandson of Ruth
1: and Boaz in the line of Jesus Christ Period of the judges,
0: difficult time, but what a time that we can see God's hand at work. You see, God sees the big picture, we don't. Let's trust Him. Father, we thank you for this time together tonight around your word. Lord, I pray that we will live our lives in a way that might bring honor and glory to you. Lord, we fall so short. We disobey. We're disobedient children. Lord, you're faithful to us as you were to them. Lord, you met their needs. You sent them judges when they needed them. Lord, they thought they wanted a king, and, and they did, and you even gave them what they wanted. And Lord, it was all part of your perfect plan. Help us to be part. Of your perfect plan as well by being obedient and doing what you want us to do, just like Ruth did, just like Naomi did, just like Samuel did. And Lord, help us be able to step back and look at the great and mighty things that you accomplish if we'll only be obedient to you. Help us be the kind of children that you'll be pleased with. Lord, help us learn from the mistakes of these Israelites and not go the same way that they went. But Lord, help us realize that you are a great God. You have a wonderful plan for each of our lives as well. Reveal it to us and help us be obedient to it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.